Rennie Show is brought to you by Johnston Group, Vittorio Rossi, Trans Canada Brewing, Lou Ferlin, Cambrian Credit Union, and Homefield. Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post july 1st free agency show i guess we uh can't say anything other than that specific date because who knows what's going to happen after this free agency was a little bit slow today if you consider the vast number of players that were out there uh so we expect more to be happening on that front but it's nice to be back in one half of k and r studios it was a little bit of a grind i think you saw me on the show yesterday unexpected stop in toronto was up early this morning to make it made it Within five minutes of going live for our show, they didn't even have to change uh, the time that we were slotted in for as Ken and I both contributed to the free agency show put on by Sportsnet today. Um, We can get into all the kind of stuff going on around the league and the certain things that were happening. I think the one thing I should probably talk about before we jump in and bring Ken Weeb into the show uh, is just kind of the trend of of where this is going. Not really the, you know, the crazy dollars that we've seen spent in the past. Um, Joshua Clipperton from uh, CP, from the Canadian Press, a a good friend who I always love seeing out on the road, was working on a story and uh, I was by him quite often when he asked a lot of the GMs about kind of the situation about you know the trade deadline the uh july 1st free agency all the kind of things that used to be really really big huge events on the calendar and how they don't seem to be as big and as huge as they have seemed in the past and you know the answer that came back time and time and time again was this salary cap right since covid Salary cap has basically been flat. General managers used to be able to spend money based on the expectation that they could spend money now that would open up going down the road with the ever-expanding salary cap. That hasn't really happened over the last little while. And you're seeing that it's hindering a lot of things. It's hindering the ability for free agents to really hit the market. I think one of the reasons we're looking at this as being a fairly, uh, you know, not overly, impre- I don't want to say overly impressive, but I guess just not as as much wow factor uh, of a UFA crop has to do with the fact that I think a lot of teams, rather than saying, I'm going to go test the market and what testing the market is, is saying I'm available and having all these different GMs wave money at the player and drive the price up to a ridiculous place. Don't think that's happening anymore. So what you're seeing is you're seeing players like Timo Meyer who are, you know, essentially electing to stay put where they are with the team that's able to give them that eighth year. Pierre-Luc Dubois, again, I know that he wasn't a UFA, but you're seeing a lot more players rather than saying, I'm going to wait this out until I'm a UFA and have the entire NHL waving dollars at me. That's not happening as much anymore. So not as many players are getting to UFA status because of that. Then you get a little bit of a slower day like you have. Now I talk about that because I think the theme of not having that space to do that uh do those kind of things that you've done in the past to get crazy on unrestricted free agency day the way teams have as in the past is probably one of the cooling factors that has meant that connor hellebuck and mark shifley have not moved yet now 
It's not a foregone conclusion they move. I think Ken and I are at somewhat opposite ends of the spectrum on the debate on whether or not they will move. One thing we know is that the Jets sing- signaled today a, a, a bold statement about whether they expected those players to move or not. We'll get into that. The best person to get into that with is my main man, Kenny Weave, the man with the best music in the business. Here he comes. Ladies and gentlemen, one thing you should know about my main man, Kenny Weeb, is that he loves action. And when there's not enough, he goes to find the action. It looks like he's given up on reporting on hockey and he's moved on to covering basketball by his background there with the, the brand new glossy floor of the uh, of the Winnipeg Sea Bears in the background there. But uh, Kenny, uh, welcome to the show. Great to have you, as always, uh, to have your show. So you better be here. Uh, that's the way these things work. Um, I'm just glad that you're here and that you made it. Good. We had a good. We've had a good day already today, buddy. We've had a good day today. I said it's great to be back in one half of K and R Studios. This is good (laughs) stuff to be back here. Um, Ken, uh, let's get right into it uh, because we've got Kevin Woodley coming on later. Uh, Goaltender guru who's going to help us break down the addition of Lauren Brossois, but also talk about Kevin. uh, Sorry, um, Connor Hellebuck uh, down the stretch here and some of the proclamations that were made today. Let's just get to you, and you can start off right off the bat. You were early on saying uh, what the Jets were going to be getting. Uh, You were right about that. You were also talking a little bit about the expectations of what we can see from the Jets going forward because I think a lot of people were wondering or thinking that maybe the Jets needed to have their business done. Players like Connor Hellebuck and Mark Scheifele moved out before this day come. Clearly that didn't happen. Uh, How did that affect this day? Yeah, it's a great question. And yeah, I mean, it's nice that when we go on a national broadcast and make some proclamations that they actually happen. <laughs> That's always welcome for sure. Always uh, good to look like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> I know you looked at me a little bit uh, oddly before we went on the air with that. But uh, yeah, I mean, as it turns out, the Jets, we knew that they were going to be looking for someone that would help reduce the workload for Connor Hellebuck, and rightly so. Whether he stays here or whether he goes, whether he signs an extension, uh, all of those things uh, remain on the table, as we know. Uh, But as of right now, they brought in a very solid uh, I, you know, it's not a stretch to call Lauren Brassois a 1B. Uh, he's no longer just a backup. When he came the last time, he was a backup who had to beat out Eric Comrie. Now he's coming back as a Stanley Cup champion. Yes, we understand he's had issues with his hips that he had to have taken care of. And yes, we understand he got hurt in Game 11 of the Stanley Cup playoffs and didn't get the crease back from Aiden Hill. Uh, but Lauren Brassois is a very capable netminder. 
Uh, he was the best goalie in the series against the Winnipeg Jets. Of course, his volume of shots and quality that he faced was not as high, but he won the series in five games. So uh, not to say that he's coming here to steal the job from Connor Hellebuck. These guys are good friends. Uh, they push each other. Uh, but the most important thing about Bersois is that he gives the Jets an ability to have someone to take the ball and run with it if at any point in the season or prior to the season they decide to make a move with Connor Hellebuck if an extension can't be found. So to me, that's a super smart move by the Winnipeg Jets. And let's be honest, it's a super smart move for Lauren Bressois, Sean. I mean, when he left the Jets to go to Vegas, he wanted to become a starting goalie. As it turns out, he didn't ever really have an opportunity to have a lot of runway and become one. Now he might once again. So for me, smart move on both parties. What that means for Connor Hellbuck, we'll get into in a second. Uh, Colin Delia, it's interesting. Uh, when he was signed, I think that the fear for most people, Sean, was that he was the guy being brought in to be the backup. Uh, with all due respect to Colin Delia, he has been brought in to be the number three in the organization and to share the crease with the Manitoba Moose with Oscar Salmonen and potentially Thomas Millich, who was just drafted uh, in Nashville in the fifth round. So then we move up front. We've been talking about this Four months, Sean. Vladislav Nemesnikov and the importance of him remaining in the organization. We said this morning it was a smart move for him before the move itself was even made. This guy is loved by Rick Bonus. He gives you center versatility. We talked. We know Kevin Cheveldayoff told you and others in Nashville he'd like to see potentially Cole Perfetti or Gabe Velarde play at center. Well, he doesn't have to play at center now. He might, or those guys might play at center, but they don't have to. Because Nemesnikov can play center, he has chemistry with Nikolai Ehlers, which is one of the most important things here. But, Sean, the most important thing about Nemesnikov is the most important thing about Nito Niederreiter. The Jets' forwards are harder to play against. That also applies to Alex Ayafalo and Rasmus Kapari. Now you have four guys who are sticking their nose in around the crease to go along with your Adam Lowry's and other guys of that nature, Morgan Barron, Mason Appleton, all of those people. So those are important things. Are these cannonballs, big splashes on July 1? Absolutely not. But they're the type of moves the Jets needed to make in order to stay on this path. And let's get right into that. I mean, sure, I will, we'll mention uh, Jeffrey Veal briefly. Most people don't know who he is uh, unless you're a very close, uh, you know, fan of the game maybe you saw him in junior hockey believe he was a memorial cup champion but this is a guy who brings a little bit of thunder to the lineup 150 pims last year and 31 points i believe uh, with the san jose barracuda now as he does he have a long runway in the nhl no he does not but uh, sean it's super interesting you talked yesterday about guys like we were talking about this with sammy about the guys that get on the jets list and all of a sudden they try to circle back to them later on jeffrey veal 26 years old from ramuski uh, now he only has 49 nhl games on his resume 139 pims last year 150 pims to go along with 15 goals 31 uh, points in 60 games now is he a depth forward is he a fourth line candidate is he a 13th forward we're not sure that's up to him but a smart move on that front as well so those are the four uh, pieces of business today we'll get into it but let's also go right into it i mean what did you think of kevin Sheveldayoff's answer uh we've been having a debate on various platforms for three months whether it's a rebuild a retool or whatever kevin Sheveldayoff found a new word before you could even finish the question 
He stole it for me. Is he, what did. he did. He, he did. did. No, I, I he mean, like I, picked I, it. He pulled the carpet right out on that one. There you go. Yeah, no, I mean, I had said to him whether you want to call it a retool, rebuild, whatever. I said, like, this team is evolving. And he said, that's the word. This is the evolution of the Winnipeg Jets. Um, but but what I did take away from that entirely was that, that that he did as much say that the Jets are trying to contend and they're trying to contend right now. Mm-hmm. And that's going to lead to a bunch of different things. The, the idea of where the direction they want to take the Mark Shifley situation and the Connor Hellebuck situation, which I think he shed, maybe shed a lot of light on, but at the very least shed the light on the plan as of right now and and probably what it's going to take for other general managers to deter him from that plan or take him in a different direction from that plan. But the one thing about it that I took away was um, I, I, I was wondering about, you know, and we talked about it on this show, the idea of retooling. And I thought that it would be limiting for the Winnipeg Jets. And, and, and maybe it has been. Maybe in the end it will be. We'll look back on that. But the idea of limiting that they weren't opening themselves up to deals for, from teams around the league who could offer really, really good you know, futures prospects. Like I, we're thinking on the idea of like a guy like Brant Clark, who everyone really seemed to yep. want from the LA Kings and no one was able to get away from the LA Kings. You know, it almost sounded like the Jets were like, we don't want your Brant Clark. We want guys who we can plug into the lineup right now. And that's what Kevin Sheveldayoff seemed to be doing. But one of the things that Kevin Sheveldayoff, I thought, really shed a lot of light on. And this is a guy we are talking about. I've said this before. Kevin Sheveldayoff holds his cards so close to the vest that they're on the inside pocket of that vest. Today, he did let a little bit more go. I thought he was a little more, you know, talked about what was going on just like the other day ken when he basically said out loud that he was going to buy out blake wheeler and did exactly that it sounds to me like the teams that he's been dealing with with connor hellebuck and mark shifley don't have that kind of future look that the jets would be looking for anyway so while we're sitting there wondering why isn't he trying to get like a first over or a first round pick and this really exciting prospect and so on and so forth i think what it is is he's saying the teams that we've talked to don't have those things if you take a right. look at the 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 trade uh, uh excuse me the um the draft this year there's a lot of teams that didn't have that first round pick this year and a lot of those teams don't have that because they've been loading up to try and win right now and it's the win now teams that are going to want a player like mark shifley or a player like uh connor hellebuck and if you take a look at the two names the two teams that have been associated with those the team most associated with mark shifley is the boston bruins they didn't have a first round pick this year did they ken and if you take a look at the team that's been most associated with connor hellebuck uh that would be the new jersey devils and i don't believe they had a first round pick this this Uh, year traded for meyer yep traded for exactly. Timo Meyer. So here we've got a situation where the teams that would be looking at making these deals probably don't have the most exciting future assets either because they've already spent those to get into the positions that they're in. So the Winnipeg Jets, maybe maybe it was a function of what was out there that they said, okay, let's get into the retooling. But it very much looks to me like the Winnipeg Jets, he, did, he used a different word. He used evolve. He didn't le- use retool. He didn't use rebuild. But he might as well have because essentially what he said <laughs> is this is a team that they're interested in having winning right now. And he essentially said the market didn't really bear out the kind of players that would have led to an exciting rebuild and here we find ourselves today because of that 
Yeah, super interesting. And also, what did you think about his uh, his answer to your question about a topic we've also discussed a lot in the last couple of days? Now that these moves have been made, and now that the Jets have stabilized the goalie position and stabilized their forward group, is there a chance that the Jets could shift to future assets if they are going to move Mark Shifley and or Connor Hellebuck? What did you think about his answer to that question? Yeah, again, going down that same road, it's basically him saying it. And, and and let's be clear here. I talked about it at the beginning of the show before you were able to sit down and join here, Ken. But everything is being affected by the ability to fit large number salary players into your team right now. And so if you're taking a look at a guy like Connor Hellebuck, you're not going for Connor Hellebuck. Like, here, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Yep. If you are the Anaheim Ducks, you're not going after Connor Hellebuck because you think he's going to turn around and win you a cup. Why? Because you've had a version of Connor Hellebuck in Gibson for a long time now who's made that team look better than they are, and they're still a really bad team, right? Like, they had the worst uh, the worst points percentage in the NHL this, te- this year. They were the 32nd place team with a great goaltender who made them look better than they were. So they don't need to go get Connor Hellebuck and get the next best version or, you know, maybe an upgraded version of, of Gibson that basically doesn't get them to where they want to go. So that's not the team looking at Connor Hellebuck. The team looking at Connor Hellebuck is the team that thinks we're right there. And if we get this goaltender, he could put us over the edge. So when I think of teams like that, I think of a team like A, we mentioned it already, the New Jersey Devils, or B, the Buffalo Sabres. And if you get teams like that and you're thinking, okay, what are you going to give us back? Well, the Buffalo Sabres have put themselves in a situation where they've got a whole bunch of their picks, and they're not going to send you Owen Power or Rasmus Dahlin for for Connor Hellebuck. And the you know the name that we brought up a lot with the New Jersey Devils, Dawson Mercer, mm-hmm. a, a guy that they're just not going to give up on. So I think what you're hearing from from uh, I think what you're hearing from from uh, General Manager Kevin Dayoff is that. The, the the teams, the very small amount of teams who could A, fit Connor Hellebuck into the salary structure and B, be the t- kind of teams that would be going for him, just don't have those future assets that he's looking for. And one of the things I thought he made evidently clear was that by moving players, and he used this terminology, by moving players like Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley, those two players would leave massive holes in the lineup. Yeah. And what I took from that is, uh, and I'm just, I, I wanted to get into this. I'm going to make this point. If you wanted Connor Hellebuck, there was a time to get him where the Jets could go into free agency in the draft and look at it from the perspective of those guys are gone. What's the next plan? Let's attack this based on that plan. You and I talked about this in the shows leading up to this with the uncertainty of Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley up in the air with that uncertainty being there. How are the Jets going to approach free agency? Well, we got the answer today. Kevin Sheveldayoff approached free agency like he is going to start the season with Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley in the lineup. And then he was taking care of today's business based on, on that ideology. Now, I think what that means is 
when general managers get a hold of them and they say, well, when we talked in early June, this was your price. I think at that point, Kevin Cheveldayoff is going to say, yeah, that was then. This is now. You had an opportunity to wow me and get Mark Scheifele and wow me and get Connor Hellebuck, and you didn't do it. Why? Because you wanted to see what else was out there. You wanted to go into the draft and see what kind of moves you could make at the draft. You wanted the freedom to go into free agency and see, well, what could I get here? What could I get here? And I have to go in with a level of certainty, and the certainty I chose is that I'm going into the season with those players. So now it's changed. If you want Connor Hellebuck, you have to give me a package that fills the hole that you that that has been left behind and you left it behind you created that problem for me because you didn't deal with this before free agency i had to move on like this and now that's the problem that you need to solve for me and so in that process you get connor hellebuck who is consulted about bringing Lauren Bressois in here. I mean, they're talking about this as being the goalie tandem for the year, but I agree with you. And the point that you were making about Lauren Bressois coming in here is not only does it open up the potential, like you said, a 1B for Lauren Bressois, who showed down the stretch with the Vegas Golden Knights. I think every game that he played in, he got a point except for one down the stretch. Really helped lock up first place for the Vegas Golden Knights, which was important because they ran into the team that would have knocked them off the mountain in the Edmonton Oilers in the second round, and then went out and beat the Winnipeg Jets before he got injured. Maybe if they do trade Connor Hellebuck, you put him in and see, can you do this? But at the very least, what that does, signing a, a player like Lauren Brassois, is if you do decide to move on from Connor Hellebuck, now in order to replace the hole he's left behind, you don't need to go out and find a starting goaltender. You don't need to go out and find your, Jonas Corposalo. All you need to do at the most is find a tandem goaltender. Right, Ken, the kind oh, of yeah. guy who you're saying, well, we're gonna throw, uh, we're gonna throw Lauren Brassoin on this night. We're gonna throw the other goaltender that we got in. They're basically gonna share the load evenly. And you want to know about the the Colin Delia move? To me, that one screams Lauren Brassoin has been injured this year. Yep. He's been injured for the last couple of years. We need a guy here who's not necessarily an NHL guy because Colin Delia isn't, but he's been that guy who's the third string in an organization and moves up to cover off when an injury happens, like we saw happen last year with the Vancouver Canucks. So today, Kevin Cheveldayoff went out and took care of his situation by saying, if problems arise with Lauren Brassois and we are keeping Connor Hellebuck here, Colin Delia is able to come in and spell that off for a little bit. But if we do lose Connor Hellebuck, and this is what this move does, it keeps open the option of moving Connor Hellebuck. It makes it so the team that they're dealing with doesn't have to find a starting goaltender to make that deal happen. Now you can get a backup, a Jeremy Swayman type, I think we're thinking here, Ken, if you're looking yep. at it from that perspective. Also, and Uka then, uh, Pekka Lukanen. I would yeah. also think that that would be a guy that, if again, if the Jets get to somewhere around the deadline and maybe Buffalo steps up, then maybe you're probably not getting Devin Levi, but I think you'd have to look at Lukanen at that uh, at that possibility. Sorry to interrupt. No, that, it's a good interruption. Add-ons are always what we want when we, when we get to interruptions in this show. But just to, to close it out, this is... Well done by Kevin Cheveldayoff because he's positioned himself. He's covered himself off on the back end, and he's 
despite the fact he's saying he's going into the season with Connor Hellebuck and Lauren Brassois as the tandem, and and if we're being honest, that's the plan right now. This plan allows for the movement of Connor Hellebuck should the right deal come along, and I still expect that deal to come along, Ken. Yeah, right on, my man. And uh, we're just going to have to – got to say something quickly here. Pierre, Lucifer, Dubois uh, – bringing lots of fire here uh, i did not <laughs> i did not say vl moves the needle i said he's a physical guy that's what i said i said he would be in the mix to be the 12th or 13th or 14th forward uh, but mr dubois would also like this receipt to be held up and uh, we'll see what happens but pierre lucifer dubois says jets draft in the top 10 in 2024 take it to the bank uh Right now, I don't see that being the case, but let's see what happens with Shifley and Hellebuck. And uh, after that, we're going to dig into the depth. I mean, Sean, uh, we talked about this. It doesn't matter what rotation the Jets are going to use uh, or what their line combos are, but I'm just going to spit this out quickly. for hey, Before you do yeah, that, yeah, we this, should wait. Ken, yeah. Ken, is about, Ken is about to get into an extremely important point. He brought it up earlier on today, and it basically is the basis of what Kevin Sheveldayoff has done here and done quietly. He's going to get into the results and what the Jets look like as the sum of their parts now. It's an interesting thing. Before we do get to that, though, I want to make sure I give a shout-out to the people who are making this show happen here today, and that's a whole bunch of our sponsors, starting with our summertime friends. First of all, at the keg, uh, who have, hey, I... I like Caesars now and again, Ken. Let's be honest. You see me do it all the time. It's not just a Sunday morning drink for me. Uh, I'm going to have to great. tell you, you shouldn't have left there. You shouldn't have gone home because what we should have been doing when I leave the rink was going to the keg to celebrate our uh, season after finishing off our July 1 coverage. But you're already at home, so we'll have to well, save yeah. that for another night. You try chewing on a steak with after you lost Also, fair enough, fair enough. We'll save it for so when you can really enjoy it. I'll make it happen when you can spoon feed me the cake, uh, some pureed steak or some beef tartare <laughs> or something like that. Maybe we'll go down that road, but whatever we choose, we know it's going to be good at the keg. Uh, absolutely great to have them on board. And of course, want to give a shout out to Pristine Roofing. Hey, we've had enough weather around to know that uh, when the rain comes rolling in, you better make sure that you're covered and no one out there is going to cover you like Pristine Roofing and Siding. Uh, great to have them on board. Give them a call. Tell them Kenny and Rennie sent you anything you need with your exteriors, roofing, siding, eaves troughs, all that kind of stuff. They're going to take care of you. Uh, great to have them on board. And then let's get in to the folks that we know have been there since the very beginning. In the Johnston Group, they've had us covered since the very beginning. We're not kind of, I mean, hey, if people want to play around and say who they thought got who covered, I know that the Jets are covered on the back end now with Lauren Brassois being here, a guy who comes rolling in with a Stanley Cup ring after out dueling the starting goaltender. Talk about having you covered there. The folks at the Johnson Group have us covered since the beginning. They've been with us every step of the way. And let's be honest, when we talk about our sponsors fighting to keep these conversations going in these spaces, no one has done that harder and with more support uh, for Kenny and Rennie than the Johnson Group. Give them a shout out. Also want to give a shout out to uh, the good folks at TransCanada Brewing Company. Ken, I went there the other day and I loaded up. I stocked up on my favorite, the blueberry Nicely oh my done. God, that stuff is so good. But uh, we know that on this show, the Lamplighter trumps all the Lamplighter Amber Ale by our good friends at Transcanter Brewing Company. Head on down to Transcanter Brewing Company. Join them in their tap room at 11290, and they will hook you up with great beer, great pizza, great food, great environment. And we know if you went to the Kenny or any year ender, you're going to have a great time there. Vittorio Rossi, you're wearing a Vittorio Rossi uh, 
outfit right there. I stopped off at home to grab one of mine. I don't know. Maybe Frank would be looking at how I'm treating this tie, and he would be pulling his hair out. It's a good-looking uh, tie, at least, buddy. It's a good-looking tie. Great tie. Great tie. Uh, I'll say this. I'm very good at making uh, people pull out their hair, so Frank is probably no different. Uh, usually, if I follow his word uh, to the word, um, we don't run into these problems, but uh, if you want to go down and get the best advice, the best clothes, the best way for you to look like a million bucks, head on down and see our friends at Vittorio Rossi. Join them on Cordon. Go in and ask for Frankie or one of the boys. They'll know what you're talking about. And for sure, tell them that Kenny and Rennie sent you. Want to give a shout out to Homefield, who you know our intro and extra and all the work that we do. These great shovels we were handing out earlier on this year. That comes from our friends at Homefield who've been helping spread the word about Kenny and Rennie and Manda. They do a, jo- a great job. If you need the word spread about any of your businesses or anything that you're doing, Homefield are the people to go to. And Ken, would you like to give a shout out to Sweet Lou Ferlin before we move on here? Yes, sir. For all the folks who have realty needs that they'd like to have met, buying, selling, just curious what the house down the corner might be worth, you can contact Lou Ferlin at Royal Page Dynamic Realty, 204-791-9971 or at the office, 204-989-5000. His email is lou at louferlin.ca. That's L-O-U at L-O-U-F-U-R-L-A-N.ca. And his website is louferlin.ca. Lou Furlan, excellent realtor, excellent human being, and excellent supporter of the community, including our podcast. And it was great to see Lou uh, and his crew over at the Year Ender at Trans Canada Brewing Company as well. It's an interesting time with the with the market. Uh, things usually pick up in the summertime. If you're looking for a house or looking to sell, Lou Furlan is your guy. Yeah, only Lou do what Lou do. So give him a call. Um, Ken was about to make a point about the depth that all of a sudden, if you take a look at the Winnipeg Jets and build their lines. Um, all of a sudden, things are looking a little bit interesting uh, because every guy gets bumped down a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Ken's going to go through what he sees the lines looking like. I'm going to tell you this. The third line looking extremely extremely tough to play against and the fourth line looking pretty darn good too ken yeah no doubt and this is again this is a work in progress it will depend on chemistry who works with whom uh, but we've been talking about the need to spread out the skill over the top nine rather than going more traditionally in that top six bottom six role again this could change and this is not to suggest nikolai ehlers wouldn't be the top line right winger because he very easily could he started last year in training camp and the first two games with mark shifley and kyle connor but right now how I see it starting I think Gabe Velarde fits really well uh, with Mark Shifley and you know it was it with Connor or Perfetti I'm not 100% sure I think they'd be curious I think there's some temptation um, to try Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley separately just because of the defensive side of the game um, I think that you could see that happening. Ehlers and Nemesnikov, I think, are going to be the pair. We're going to kind of see where things go from there. Um, you know, obviously, too. I mean, you could go Perfetti. Uh, could you go Perfetti, Shifley, and Connor? I'm not 100% sure. But I like Nemesnikov and, you know, and uh, Ehlers as a pair. And you could play Velarde with them as well. So lots of flexibility on those fronts. But if that's the case, you're looking at Alex Iafalo, Adam Lowry, 
uh, and Nino Niederreiter. Niederreiter could also play in with either one of those lines that I mentioned, depending on the configurations. But if the Jets' third line was Ayafalo, Lowry, and Niederreiter, that's a pretty deep third line. And then that leaves Morgan Barron, uh, Rasmus Kapari, and Mason Appleton potentially with David Gustafson as the 13th forward here uh, in competition with some of the other guys in the organization. But uh, that's a really interesting uh, you know, thought about the top 12 or 13 forwards here uh, with the Winnipeg Jets. And, and we'll dig into the D after, but uh, let's get into the goaltending because we got one of the smartest guys uh, in the business when it comes to goaltending assessments. Uh, he's waiting patiently in the green room, and I think we should bring in Kevin Woodley right away here, Sean, unless... Uh, yeah. Let's do it. I just the, the one thing I'll say about this is we had Kevin on our long form show yeah. uh, last year, and he absolutely wowed us. One of the most interesting conversations uh, that we've had uh, on KNR in there. So let's get him in here because there's lots of goaltending news to talk about. Kevin, great to see you. Last time you did this, you were in your car and you rocked it in the comfort of your home. I can only imagine it's going to get better. <laughs> um, give us an idea of first off um, what you see see the Winnipeg Jets, uh, the version of Lauren Brassois that is returning to the Winnipeg Jets, how do you see him as being different from the version of Lauren Brassois that left the Winnipeg Jets? Uh, I, ju- I just think he's healthier since the hip surgery, right? And you've probably seen the quotes. People have probably seen the stories that sort of emerged out of Vegas this year. Um, there were positions that the goaltending um, position asked you to get into physically that he wasn't able to for a number of years. Uh, there were limitations in terms of range of movement through the hips. Um, and that kind of affects everything from your stance to your post integrations. Um, a lot of things that, you know, are basically like foundational to how you move about the crease. And, you know, as this game gets increasingly dynamic, increasingly east west, that ability to move is so important. And so anything that compromises it um, compromises you as a goaltender. And I think having those having the surgery getting back last season sort of reestablishing himself um you know you're just getting a guy who's more confident in his body now obviously the injury in the playoffs uh, raises some question marks um, but as long as you're comfortable and confident that you know that was a one-off put in sort of a end range movement situation by an oilers power play that you know left a lot of goaltenders in you know stretching and reaching and in dynamic situations because of how dynamic that attack was uh you know i just think you're getting a you're getting a version of the guy that 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 has a little, is it just a little more range of movement, and therefore a little more to give, and and more, you know, has shown what he can do. Like this is a guy who was the number one goaltender for the Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights. Like as much as Aiden Hill finished it and earned the contract he did, like their projections as an organization had him as that guy. Like he was the guy they tabbed uh, and picked to start the playoffs, and that's. I don't think you can discount uh, what that means in terms of where he's at as a goalie and what that can even mean for your confidence. Yeah, super interesting, Kevin. I mean, had a great conversation with LB before the series started uh, down at the practice uh, facility in Henderson. And uh, he just seems to be in such a great place mentally. Obviously, it was a very arduous journey over the last two years with the hip surgery and everything else. But, I mean, this is a guy who left Winnipeg for the chance to become a starter and then had to wait almost until the end of that second year of the deal so here's a guy who has so much appreciation and we know there's great familiarity between the two players in Hellebuck and Brassois but we also know the competitive juices of both of them uh what do you think of that element as you know 
provide, you know, we're assuming right now that Hellebuck is also there to start the year. Uh, what do you think that'll be like? And having that familiarity, does it help when that 1B eventually still wants to become a number one full-time? I, I, I mean, it can't hurt, right? Like familiarity, like when we see goalies switch teams, part of the sort of struggles you typically see and, you know, you get a lot of people say it's around 20 games to get comfortable is sort of that adjustment to a new team. Uh, and obviously things have changed in Winnipeg since he left, new coaching staff. Um, but there's, there's you've got Wade Flaherty, you've got for now Connor Hellebuck, um, you have a lot of familiar faces still with the team. Uh, it, just, it just makes that transition easier. The adjustment period for LB is going to be so much smoother than it was even leaving Winnipeg and going to Vegas. And I think that just bodes well for being able to sort of hit the ground running um, whatever the role is. As far as the relationship between the two of them, like it just removes any of the tension, if there, if there were to be any. Like, they were still competitive before LB left. Like, it's not like knowing yeah. that Connor was the number one prevented him from pushing for more when he was there. So I, I think regardless of what happens in terms of Connor's future, uh, it's a move you like, you know, both ways. And, hey, like, let's not, like, I understand they got Colin Delia as well, so... Um, you know, another guy who, if there are more moves coming, has the ability to push up from below and I think made some major strides here in Vancouver last year towards becoming more of an everyday NHL option should you need that. You mentioned Wade Flaherty and uh, how that'll make it easy coming back. I'm actually interested in that dynamic. You'd have a real good insight on that. But the idea of, a, you know... I. Wade Flaherty saw something in Lauren Brassois, brought him in, worked on him in Winnipeg for a couple of years, really kind of took him from, you know, I don't want to say that he was an unknown, but I mean, I remember when he came to Winnipeg, I wasn't really sure who he was. Kind of got a little bit of notoriety behind the league, was pushing Connor Hellebuck. I think a really good point you bring up, the idea. I always love when I hear a backup who isn't just, you know, I get it, I know I'm a backup, but I want to push for more. And he always did that when he was here. Going from Wade Flurry to Sean Burke and then, you know, a different maybe philosophy, maybe not. I don't know enough to know whether it's a different philosophy, but I wonder about the idea of what he may have learned while he was there and if that learning has any kind of way of having taken him down a different road that would make him a different goaltender or maybe even create stumbling blocks to come back to Wade Flaherty, who's probably going to have the same philosophy he had when Lauren Brassois left. You know what? That's that's actually a really good question. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, Sean, it's 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 one I'd prefer to run by him. And I haven't had that opportunity, you know, to talk about what type of things technically or tactically he may have changed under Sean. I think the one thing to remember though is he wasn't really with Sean for for a very long period of time in yeah. Vegas. I mean, a lot of that work was with Fred Brathwaite uh, in Henderson, and so and Fred's a guy that, you know, ironically enough, have been on the ice with. Um, with LB, with Fred, and also uh, with Wade Flaherty up in Kelowna, the Net360 camp in past years. Interesting. So I, I don't think, usually when you go to a new goalie coach, you do get new ideas and new philosophies thrown at you. I think of them as tools in the toolbox. And I think every goalie that has success in the National Hockey League and has continued success has a willingness to evolve and listen to new ideas constantly. You have to be receptive to it, willing to try new things, especially when the guy asking you to do it decides whether you play or don't. <laughs> but 
most good goalie coaches, and Sean is definitely one of them, he's going to give you tools for the toolbox, but he's not going to tell you you have to use them. Like you want to be open to all these different tools and adding them, but also you have to be confident enough in your foundation as a goaltender to know what's going to work for you and what's not. So I show a willingness to try something new and also a willingness to maybe push back where, hey, like this isn't working for me or I'm struggling with that. Maybe we can find a compromise. And if, if you know, having had the opportunity to talk to Sean over the years, um, like he's not a guy that forces you into one thing. Yes, we know his preferences are very much Benoit Lair. Uh, he revamped his career with the Arizona Coyotes under Benoit Lair. So very much an inside out philosophy where you're not taking a lot of ice early. You're shortening your movements. You don't have to go as far east west on all these lateral plays we're seeing because you're playing deeper in your crease as the play develops in front of you and sort of waiting until it gets to where you read a shot. And then you can take a little ice if you feel the need to. But a more conservative positional approach. Um, I saw a little bit of it in LB's game, but I'd like to ask him, like, you know, like, like it, it's not much. It didn't feel like it was a lot. And I don't feel like it would be a problem either way, whether it's him saying, hey, I felt more comfortable being, you know, we're talking like a skate length compared to how he used to play. I felt more yeah. comfortable playing half ice instead of top of the crease. Uh, I felt like I was able to get to a lot of these plays more and I was still able to read and use my hands and I wasn't giving up net or being exposed because of it. Maybe I do play a little bit deeper. The thing is, like, I don't remember him top of my head in Winnipeg under flats being a guy who was necessarily over aggressive anyway. So I don't think that would have been a big adjustment for him. As far as little things, if there's like a post integration or um, just the way you read a certain play, again, to me, that's all tools in the toolbox really easy to sort of add the ones that work for you and discard the ones that don't and knowing both goalie coaches i don't think there'll be any problem going back and forth for lorenzo squad kevin and you're a big proponent of uh stephen valicat's company's clear clear site analytics right i mean i'm curious obviously we know that vegas is one of the best structured teams in the national hockey league and the winnipeg jets are not that i'm curious if there's anything i know it was small sample size last year between uh his nhl games i think 11 and then 11 playoff games anything that stood out on that front in terms of uh, things that it would either be a strength or maybe an area of concern, knowing that he's going to, you know, it, obviously the Jets are trying to improve their structure, but they're not at a Vegas level when it comes to defending and the quality of opportunities that they give up from the home plate area uh, going into next year. Yeah, you know, like to me, um, I, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, Ken, I didn't have a chance to pull that up before because uh, I was out at the Canucks. Yeah, yeah, apologies. got home and didn't have a chance to sort of pull the numbers or run the numbers. I don't like to talk out of my butt and it takes no, no. a while to sort of dig into them in depth. And so, um, you know, I guess just an excuse to uh, have me on to ramble again another day. But Perfect. Um, so I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have anything like top of my head that I can throw at you there in terms of LB specifically. I do know that, um, you know, during the regular season when he was up for that stretch, like it wasn't a coincidence they went to him in the playoffs. The way he played when he got up and got that opportunity, his adjusted numbers were really good. They were, yeah. they were exceptional. They were the best of the bunch. Even at a time when Jonathan Quick was winning games, uh, the discrepancy in terms of who was actually playing better, LB, when he first got up there and was healthy, like he was producing numbers that were like top tier in the NHL. He really did play that well and sort of earned that opportunity after he came back from the injury. Um, beyond that, it's interesting with Vegas, like expected save percentages. Um, 
Aiden Hill went into the Stanley Cup final with an expected save percentage very similar to Sergei Bobrovsky. Right. Like it, and it was below league average. So for all the talk about how well Vegas defended, to me it was more specific to the way their goaltenders played. Mm. And it, a there lot of it was about limiting East-West. And so in Aiden Hill's case, his numbers were below average on plays across what we would call the slot line, so across the middle of the ice. But they were really below average on those types of plays above the hash marks. Below the hash marks, he was exceptional, which kind of fits Sean Burke's philosophy, right? Like short movements, lateral plays in tight. You don't have to go as far. Aiden's got a lot of reach. He's got length. Um, he's able to sort of get across and get that big body of his across. And even if he's in a blocking mode, succeed. And when you look at how Vegas defended, for example, in the playoffs against slot line plays, they were 13th out of 16 playoff teams in terms of they gave up a lot of them. Like they were, they were like 13th out of 16. But what they didn't give up was high slot line plays, which a lot of teams would look at it and go, well, high slot lines are the one we want to give up. The low slot line ones are more dangerous. But the strength of their goaltenders and the way they played fit them giving up those types of chances. So the overall, we could look at it like the overall like adjusted save percentage. And like I said, like it was the same as Bob's. Like they weren't asking, you know, their goalies faced just as, as difficult a workload. But it was the type of chances they were facing, like digging down even further, getting more granular in that, that really sort of suited um, Aiden Hill's game. And I think would suit Lorembra Swaz's game as well, because his ability to move east-west and just present a big frame in front of that shot on inside plays, like that's a strength of his. Put those guys in more of a reactive zone higher up in the slot area, and that's where you sort of start to see some relative exposure. And so what I don't have in front of me is, you know, how well Winnipeg does that. I know the Jets, both under Paul Maurice and under Rick Bonus, what they were really good at, and this suits Connor's strengths as well, is trying to limit the East-West. And so, yeah, we hear a lot about plays in the slot area, but if that's in a straight line, if you don't have lateral options and it doesn't, a shot isn't preceded by lateral pass or a lateral play that forces the goalie to move, like Hellebuck's the best in the business, maybe like I would argue the best in the world, in straight lines and Winnipeg has done a job a good job now through two coaches of making sure the most dangerous chances they give up are of those type and they suited Hellebuck I would argue they would suit Loren Brassois as well all that is fascinating a because Connor Hellebuck told me exactly that he said I know that the numbers say there's a lot of high danger chances given up, but what I never have to worry about hmm. facing is backdoor tap and goals and stuff like that. So while the guy's in tight, I can entirely focus in tight, focus on that play in tight, and I don't have to worry about anything else. He used to give a lot of credit to his defenders when the rest of the league was tearing his defenders apart because of all those home plate chances that uh, Ken is talking about. I also think that is entirely fascinating, Kevin, the idea of, Vegas being good at and preparing for the in tight shots that are usually typically dangerous and allowing a lot of those not allowing as much of the of the ones that are out front and more dangerous that, that like you did last time you were on you keep blowing my mind with these concepts that just make me think I, I got to get on to a different question though um I think personally that Hellebuck is still going to be moving on. I think that a team's going to come, it's going to make the right trade, and he's going to move on, which begs the question, 
How ready do you believe Lauren Brassois? Because it's a question because we haven't seen him in that role or, be, you know, we saw him down the stretch and show very well in that role once he got it in Vegas. But how ready do you believe Lauren Brassois would be to take on a either the starting goaltender role in Winnipeg or be at the very least a very hybrid tandem role based on what the Jets were able to get back from for the Connor Hellebuck trade? Well, it, it's a tough question in part because the person he's following is one of the top goalies in the world if that if that transpires, right? So expectations would be sky high. And to ask any goaltender, um, it would be a pretty short list of, of goalies that you could say, hey, can you replace Connor Hellebuck, <laughs> right? So um, that's just the reality. Uh, I love where LB's game is at, uh, especially after the hip surgery. There was a lot to like in the way he moved. Um, is he does he look like the most dynamic athletic guy out there uh, a lot of critics you know i've actually had one goalie coach who, who i quite respect and is one of the best in the business say he's the closest thing we have in the nhl to a blocking goaltender and and i think at times yeah. it can look that way i don't know that it's actually a fair criticism though because it looks like that but lb's the way he moves and the way he moves into pucks he puts himself in a position where he doesn't need to sprawl all over the place to make saves. He's so good about sort of getting into lanes and then closing on shots rather than opening and pulling over. Like, you know, the glove save up here requires pulling my shoulder away from the path that the puck is going. Yeah. Whereas if I if I move into that, oh, that was scary for your audience. If I move <laughs> into that, I can close down that lane. Like those type, the way he plays, like, and that understanding of space, and it's something that, that Connor does really well as, uh, as well. That understanding of how to close space and close net is something he does exceptionally well. The reality is that asking a guy to be a number one, like the truth is until you've done it, you haven't done it. And so it is a fair question. It's a question he'll have to answer. And the other part of it, in part because not the hip surgery, but the fact he had some games in Vegas and then got hurt and then got in the playoffs and then got hurt. One of the biggest, and and you guys know this because of Connor Hellebuck, one of the greatest abilities as a goaltender in the number one role is availability. And so it's going to be up to Loren to, sh- to show that he can stay healthy through a season and be an option on a day-in, day-out basis. Yeah. Kevin, what do you make of the theory, uh, the saturation portion of the market and that people are getting scared off by a f- you know, future potential big tie, big ticket for Connor Hellebuck? Uh, what does that mean for the market? And do you buy it? Because for me... It feels like those words are being leaked to the press because they're trying to either reduce the later contract or the cost of acquisition. I think that if you're a team that thinks you're a Stanley Cup contender, you're going to pay the price to get Connor Hellebuck, whether it's for this year or to sign him long term. Well, I I would say I do think it's fair, like if you're going to give up what it likely requires, that you're going to want him for more than one year. Agreed, yeah. And so now we're talking about what it costs. I. And listen, like, I think we saw it today. I expected the backup, that sort of 1B and into the, you know, tweeners, three guys who are going to be threes or twos. I expected that market to get hammered today. Like, I thought they would be buy low opportunities for teams to find some talent at low prices. And I think we've seen that happen. The one move that I didn't see coming today that I think bodes very well for the Jets if they proceed with trying to trade Connor Hellebuck is the Ilya Sorokin contract. Yeah. Right, because I always had Shesterkin tagged as my guy. Is you know, are we ever going to see another Vasilevsky-like contract? Let's see what Igor gets. Well, it turns out it was Ilya that got there first, 
And so if that's the cost of goaltending, because I kind of saw it going the other way, like, you know, like whether it's uh, Demko or Soros, like guys sort of right around that $5 million mark. Like if that was your price, or even Jacob Markstrom, who was the premier unrestricted free agent of his class, only got six. And so if the request indeed, and I'm not saying it is, like, like you said, things get sent to the media, uh, but if the request is indeed that nine and a half Vasilevsky range, I understood the pushback. But that ends a little bit today with Ilya Sorokin getting what he did from the New York Islanders. Or maybe it doesn't end, but it becomes like, hey, this is just the, what it's going to cost to get a guy who you know, no questions asked, is an elite number one goaltender. And that's such a short list these days. Um, last one for me, uh, and I'm going to go back to Lauren Brassois on this. Uh, like Ken, I had a chat with him. Just- well, hey, just a great guy, right? When you get to talk with him, I really like the place he's at. You're talking about that you like where his game's at. I liked where his headspace was for that entire thing. You know, winning a Stanley Cup is only going to help with that. One of the other things, he looked like he'd beefed up, and I said it to him, like he looked like he got, you know, always was in shape, but like really big and strong. I'm not sure if you saw that when I said that to him. He was either being, uh, you know, like sloughing it off or whatever, but saying, oh, really? I'm going to have to take a look in the mirror and see how it looked. <laughs> but um, I just wondered if if maybe something that you'd seen from him has changed over the last couple of years since we saw him was maybe a little bit of a body transformation because it sure seemed to be what I saw. Or just, I just forgot how big he was. Well, I mean, LB's always been a beast. Um I don't know if this is a family show, but there was a nickname that he used to have at the uh, training camps uh, uh, that we would go to, the Net360 camps. And don't forget, these are camps with like all elite NHL goaltenders. The trainer he worked with, Adam Francilia, who you obviously will be you know familiar with in, in Winnipeg because of Connor Hellebuck. And he works with, I think now he's got like over a dozen NHL clients. They would like, you got like these elite NHL goaltenders up there. They're being given new exercises and guys are struggling with some of these, you know, like, some of these moves and their dynamic exercises this isn't just sitting on the squat rack or pumping iron like your Arnie. And it, it always used to be F U L B like, cause he would just go in there and rip them all off and have no problems. Like oh, wow. it would drive the other guys nuts. So in terms of whether he's bulked up at all, like he has just always been a physical specimen. Um, and which is why having that range of movement through the hips expanded, does so much for his game because he was he was able to do things before the surgery that other guys couldn't and yet he still felt limited on the ice in certain movements in terms of actually getting like a little more beefed up i better be honest with you sean like uh because of the hip surgery he wasn't in Kelowna last summer because Mm. of the demotion at the start of the year or starting the year in the american hockey league he didn't travel with henderson the one trip out here to abbotsford um so i didn't see him uh, and then late in the season, I wasn't able to catch up with him in Vegas. So I'm going to I'm gonna have to plead the fifth on that one. But I'm hoping to get to see him in August, and I'll be able to answer that question from Net360 this year. Just Sounds two good. quick ones from me, Kevin. I know you mentioned Delia earlier. I'll get back to circle back to him at the end. But I'm also curious for your thoughts on Thomas Millich. And uh, with the Jets picking him with a late-round flyer after he'd been passed over before, obviously we know the exploits with the Seattle Thunderbirds and with Team Canada. Uh, just curious for your assessment on him. And Sean and I were talking about this yesterday. How come Devin Levi at six feet is an elite prospect and Thomas Millich at six feet is an afterthought until he gets drafted in his third third, third time? And then, round. Yeah, to start there, and then I wanted you to circle back with sort of just expand what you saw in terms of the development uh, with Colin Delia in that number three role. 
Uh, I mean, listen, like Devin Levi wasn't always an elite prospect, right? Like um, before he finally got on to the Hockey Canada World Junior Program, like they didn't even invite him to the Program of Excellence camp. It was a freaking Zoom camp. Like, yeah. You could have invited anyway, anyone, and they didn't invite him. I think it's a size thing. Um, and I just think sometimes because of that it's way too and, – and Devin Levi had had success, and they and they, like Hockey Canada ignored him, right? Like um, – I just think it's too easy to overlook guys. Uh, I would point to Dustin Wolf as another example. I mean, he basically followed Carter Hart's footsteps in Everett, produced similar numbers in Everett, had the same level of success that Carter had in Everett, but he was listed at two, or probably more like three inches smaller. And I was here in Vancouver covering the draft in 2019, and he almost didn't get picked. And now he's what? Two-time AHL goalie of the year? In his yeah. first two pro seasons, MVP of the league last year, and like, much like Devin Levi, on a, on a straight line to the National Hockey League. I think there's very much a chance of Thomas Millich being that guy. Um, mm-hmm. I had a, I mean, he's been on, I mean, for your audience, if they want to check it out, Ingo Radio Podcast. I can't remember what episode. We had him on shortly after they won the World Juniors. I love the way he thinks the game. Uh, I love his mindset. I love his approach. I love the balance to it. And there's a, He's not a guy that's resting on his laurels. He's willing, open to new ideas, new teachings, new philosophies. Same with Scott Ratzlaff, who was his backup uh, in Seattle this year. Like I thought he, he, to me, he was the most impressive goaltender that I watched at the CHL Top Prospects game, which was here in Vancouver this year. And yet, uh, you know, wasn't, I actually got to look it up, but I know he wasn't the first of that group picked and was further down uh, that list than I would have expected based on what I saw. He's also six feet. So I just think that um, despite the Wolves, despite the Devin Levi's, uh, there still is this bias towards size. And I think, frankly, it's probably wrong. And if you're the Winnipeg Jets, you're hoping that it got you Thomas Millich at a spot it probably shouldn't have. Just like a lot of people are looking at Devin Levi. Was it seventh round pick? No. Um, yep. You know, Dustin Wolf, seventh round pick. Like these are guys that had success, got overlooked, and now if you were to go back and look at it, you'd be like, How the hell did he get to the seventh round? I think there's every chance, as unpredictable as things are, there is every chance we're asking similar questions. Whether it's to the same tier as Wolf or Levi, I can't say, but we're asking similar questions about Thomas Millich in two or three years. Interesting. And then just a quick one on, uh, I said only one more, uh, quick one on Delia. And then I actually, if you have any thoughts on Dom DiVicentis, I mean, obviously OHL goalie of the year, uh, seventh round, I'll circle back on that one if you don't. I'm just curious, because uh, again, Jets, another seventh round pick, a guy who last year nobody knew about, and now all of a sudden as an 18-year-old goes in and absolutely rocks it in the OHL. So I uh, just We'll save him for another day, unless you have no, any no, just no. cursory Let's thoughts. Him. Let's get to him. Oh, I just don't know that Kevin has any thoughts based on the net, the head. By the head way, nod. he's responding. He's yeah, got no, it's, I, like, and this is the thing. Like, so I mean, obviously, it's kudos to the Jets because they saw something that 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 hit the following year after they picked him. But just again, like, I don't like to blow smoke or talk out of my butt. And the reality is, keeping up with the National Hockey League yeah. in the detail hard enough. You in the American Hockey League means. You know, like even when people asked me last week to be on draft shows and I deferred them to Greg Ballack, who does such a good job with DP Rinkside, because I, I just don't have the, the time to dig into the video like other people do. So I, I don't want to blow any smoke on him, but sounds like he's hit and sounds like that's a good step and another sort of feather in the cap of the way the Jets are drafting goaltenders. 
Sure, and the folks that don't know, I mean, you've been able to watch Delia up close, right, with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, uh, what sort of stood out to you? I mean, people will look at the number sheet, uh, boxcar stats, and say, oh, well, 327, 888, or 882. What have you seen in terms of his growth? Uh, Vancouver was a tire fire defensively last year, like tire fire. Um, yep. You know, like, uh, and, I, and I think even here, like, people were like, well, hey, you know, just look at Demko's numbers, especially before he right. got to you know, people are like, oh, he was able to bail them out last year. I'm like, yeah, last year they were a bottom third team. This year out there, a bottom three team defensively. <laughs> and I'm telling you, that's like seven or eight spots out of 32 teams, but the difference is exponential. Uh, until the coaching changed, they were just so bad defensively. Uh, Colin is a guy who came here trying to, you know, be open to make some changes. Like he saw Spencer Martin and the, he watched Spencer Martin before in the American League, watched him spend a year here in Vancouver, Saw him again and was like, that's a different goalie. I want to try some of that. And so he really bought into some of the stuff that Ian Clark teaches. Um, and obviously Wade Flaherty would have played for Ian Clark. They're, they're, you know, as a, I don't want to say a disciple, but knows Ian Clark and the philosophy quite well. Um, it's pretty regimented. It's pretty – like there are specific things that they do technically and tactically here that not everybody else does. Uh, Colin bought into it, much like Spencer Martin. It took some time in the minors to make such significant changes – uh, instinctual and innate. Um, I love to quote Top Gun. I'm happy there's a second movie because people don't look at me with... with <laughs> I once had Roberto Luongo say, what the hell are you talking about? He hadn't seen the original movie. <laughs> now that they repeated the line in Top Gun 2, Maverick, whatever, if you think out there, you're dead. And so as a goalie, when you make significant changes to your game, you have to get comfortable to the point where when you're out there, you're just playing and those things are happening naturally you're not out there thinking because that half second you're behind everything and so it took a while for Colin uh, I saw some progress he has a ton of horsepower like he is incredibly powerful when he starts to push around the crease uncontrolled like just chase with that horsepower it gets out of control in a hurry when he keeps his knees underneath him and plays with a little more patience and a little more structure there is very much an NHL goaltender there. And some of the post-integration work that they did to help him get in and out of those positions uh, more consistently, efficiently, really seemed to pay off. Um, if he can continue that with, with flats and, and with some of his philosophies added in, again, tools in the toolbox, he'll take some things that he learned from Ian, some other things he may let go. Um, but there's definitely a goalie there. So much power in that base. It's just a matter of not relying on it or going to it too soon in sequences. Because when he does, you, you start getting that horsepower pushing that hard one way. It's really hard to stop it and go back the other. And so when that happens, you can get a little you can get a little chasey. And there are times he got a little chasey. But when he was in control, there was a lot to like about Colin Delia's game. And as you guys are going to discover... You talked about, Sean, about the interview you had with Persuan, and like the where, where he's at. Colin's a fascinating guy with a lot of interests, uh, outside hockey, a real thinker, um, and just a real pleasure to get to talk to you on a regular basis. Loves the position. I think he'll be a great fit with Flats as well. Uh, hopefully he gets that, whether, whether it's in camp or you know in the A or chances to come up, depending on what happens, I guarantee you he'll be a sponge and he'll work to get better. 
Kevin, speaking of a pleasure to talk to, it is always absolutely enlightening, and the time flies by whenever we have you on the show. You rock it, and you open up and explain the goaltending position so well. It is just unbelievable. We appreciate it. I wanted to give a shout-out, as you were talking about before, to the In Goal Radio podcast. I believe it's episode 201 with Thomas Millich. I would say to our audience, everyone get out there and check it out it will be on the test going forward everyone so uh make sure you get out there and check that out because a fascinating character now in the winnipeg jets fold uh and a ton to learn about him uh by checking out that podcast again the in goal radio podcast episode 201 with thomas millich what do you got to say kev i just got to say quickly we do have colin daly on there somewhat recently too and we actually did pro reads videos at ingolmag.com where colin went through saves that he made and explained his thought process and his philosophy something that we offer exclusively at ingolmag.com so if you want to get a feel for how colin approaches and thinks the game uh some really great insights that he shared with us there speaking of insights as sean said awesome stuff kevin i hope you have an awesome summer and uh, really appreciate you dedicating some time here on what we know was a busy day uh tremendous stuff all around colin delia made his nhl debut against the jets plus he's from one of the best names all around you get to say rancho cucamonga every time you say colin delia's name it's fantastic stuff Make sure you get the backstory, guys. We're talking about a kid who, I believe, if I remember correctly, was making pads out of cardboard and stuffing them himself when he Amazing. first started playing the position. It's great stuff. Kevin, ba- good backstory. You've got uh, the keys to the back door of the uh, Kenny and Rennie Studios with an invite to come on the show anytime you want. Uh, you never miss. It's great to have you on. Thank you for joining us. Thanks Tremendous. for having me, guys. It's always my pleasure. Thanks, See my man. Guys. Appreciate it. Um, what do we need to get to before we shut this down? Let's just quickly run through the defense. Uh, our, our guy, Dan, here. One second. Running man. What about the D, Kenny? Any possible changes? No one asked Chevy that question. That is not true. Every <laughs> single time Kevin Dayoff has spoken to the media in the last while, he has been asked about the D. It's different. There's a difference in being asked and not really answering or shedding any light on what the Jets plan to do with the D. Uh, he was asked again today, running man, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the video. Um, in terms of what Kevin said, he said there were a few interesting things on the go. Uh, he always believes that the Jets would rather have too many defense than not enough. Uh, but having said that, the Jets essentially are in a position where right now they have about 10. If we're going to include Ashton Sautner as a depth guy, Jets have 10 or 11 guys for around 8 spots. So they need to move defensemen out. Uh, But for me, Sean, we've talked about this as well today. Unless something's happened in the last hour, two names that I would keep an eye on. One of them will not be able to play until around December. I think Ethan Bear would be an outstanding fit for the Winnipeg Jets in terms of his retrievals and his ability to move the puck. He will be hurt, though, and not be able to play until around December, it sounds like. I love Matt Dumba. I love the way that he plays. Obviously, his career did not go on the meteoric rise after the fight that he got into and the injury that he suffered with that torn pectoral muscle. But I do think that Matt Dumba would make sense on a lot of levels on or as a right shot defenseman. Now they'd have to move some money out in order to make that happen though. Cause he's probably looking at, you know, four or $5 million uh, in an AAV. Uh, Jets are going to be a cap ceiling team, Sean. Uh, people wondering, they were looking at cap friendly yesterday and saying, Oh my goodness, uh, Jets have 14 and a half million. Well, they weren't counting Cole Perfetti and that only included 15 players on the roster. And they have six RFAs they need to get signed uh, on that list, including Gabe Velarde, 
who just had 23 goals and 41 points. So most of that money has already been spoken for. Uh, there'll be a little bit of wiggle room, and there are a couple of bonus. There's another potential for bonus for Cole Perfetti as well, uh, I believe, going into the last year of his ELC, and he hit his bonus. Uh, again, and I'm not. I'm saying Sautner is like 11 or 12 on the depth chart. I'm just saying that uh, the Jets have at least 10 right now. Uh, whether that right now my fifth pairing had uh, Declan Chisholm and Vili Hanela on it, depending on what happens with Logan Stanley and Kyle Capabianco. So something needs to happen on the D. And I think, regardless, I think they need to change the mix. And someone like Dumba or Ethan Bear, uh, to me, makes a whole lot of sense uh, on on the third pairing. So I think it was a, overall an interesting day for the Jets. Again, not a huge splash, but a couple of smart smart moves. And we'll see how they pan out. And man, I, we say this every time that we have them on. Uh, Kevin Woodley explains goaltending. Uh, I would like probably like to say better than anybody, uh, oh, at least that I am aware of. Uh, I love listening to him when he comes on with us or with Jeff Merrick, our pal uh, in Toronto. Uh, just such an insightful guy. This guy knows a lot about the position. He's not afraid to share his insights, and he explains it in a way that even you or I, uh, people who haven't done anything else other than play street hockey goalie, uh, even we can understand uh, what he's talking about. Uh, it, but his level of depth and knowledge is just absolutely tremendous, and it's such we're so, so appreciative that he spent this half an hour and change with us to discuss all of those things. And like I said, this is so important because what do we see in the comments? Oh, Colin Delia, look at his numbers. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Well, he told you why those numbers weren't very good. And he also told you why he may improve under this you know, regime with Wade Flaherty because of the things that he sees in Colin Delia having watched him when covering the Vancouver Canucks and, and getting to know him over the years. And I think that is something that was super important. And the insights on LB are outstanding. I mean, like this is a guy who is, has been on the ice with him regularly uh, and knows him really well as an individual. Kevin, Sammy, Elliot. Oh, what a Dave week. Bukla, uh, a Come on. A phenomenal week of uh, people. Uh, that's one of the things we love to say. Not only do you get to spend some time with Kenny and Rennie here, but we have some of the most knowledgeable people in the business, some of the best storytellers, some of the most insightful people in hockey that are willing to spend time with us. And we're so thankful of it. Kevin Woodley, most definitely one of those. Ken, quick before we shut this down, the one thing I think we need to get on the record Hellebuck, Shifley. Are right, they sure. with the Jets at the start of the season? One, both, either? What do you think? Uh, I'm going to say one of the two for sure, possibly two. Uh, I and think of that, them, who do you think is the more likely to be here? Hellebuck, more likely to be here. But I think, uh, actually, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure which one. I think that someone will, at least one team will step up in an offer for one of the two. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to stay on the fence. I just, it's hard to predict. Uh, a lot of the goalie chairs have been filled. We talked about Carolina. They brought back both Ranta and Anderson. There aren't a ton of jobs open. I think New Jersey, to me, still seems like the most logical outcome. Um, there's a possibility that neither is on, That, like as predicted by Jack there. Uh, I think that Connor Helbach could start the year with the Jets just because of what we talked about. I think... Having Lauren Brassois around allows the Jets to start with Hellebuck, and if they have to move him at the deadline, they could make a case that, you know, there's probably going to be some drop-off. There wouldn't be the type of drop-off that would ensure the Jets 
would miss the playoffs if they had to move him and then maybe they bring another guy back with term uh, if they have to move him uh, the steering contest and the drama will continue as you mentioned in our hit uh, in terms of Shifley it's interesting what's the marketplace like for him uh, he is a valuable commodity you know we'll see what happens there well how about you who do you uh, what's your number I'm going to say um, 1.5. Yeah, <laughs> in the, I say both gone. Both Okay, gone. there you um, go. Connor Hellebuck is just too valuable to move, and I know Ken has great thoughts on this. This is a guy who is a late-round pick for the Winnipeg Jets who they found and turned into one of the best, if not the best, goalies in the entire league. Maybe you just take the career that he had here in Winnipeg and say we turned something that was you know, a gamble and a risk into a huge long career here uh, and you just live with that and losing the player for nothing I don't think that happens I think you have to move him you just get too much back for him so I do think that he will be gone uh, Mark Shifley I think it's the same thing I don't think either player is re-signing in Winnipeg so that's all you know that's talk I think coming from Kevin Shevel day off I think behind the scenes we've heard enough to know I think I've heard enough behind the scenes to know that those players are not considering staying in Winnipeg and if you don't move them you lose them for nothing I think it happens eventually and I would also say this we established yesterday on our show Blake Wheeler did not get bought out by the Winnipeg Jets and move on today to the New York Rangers because the Jets weren't happy with the money situation they needed to move on from Blake Wheeler if they were going to move on from the culture that he's helped establish I don't think you can move on from that culture entirely if you don't move on from Mark Shifley as well so I think for those reasons both those players will be gone just quickly I'm going to say it uh, we talked about what a fit uh, I think this was some good analysis by us leading, leading into this on Vladi Nemesnikov here's a guy who bounced around the league for a long time I first he caught my eye back in 2015 when I was covering the cup yeah. final between Chicago and the Tampa Bay Lightning he caught my eye at that point it was a surprise to me that he started bouncing around the league and really couldn't find a home this is a guy essentially that Mikey Asimont, who you fans all saw, the Tampa Bay Lightning to get Mikey Asimont moved on from Vladi Nemestikov. And I think all you who are listening to us right now and will be listening to this over the next coming days can probably, you know, take your take a run at who you think made more of an impact with the Jets last year. I would say if you don't think Nemestikov was a bigger player with the Winnipeg Jets last year than Mikey Asimont, who had a good little tryout for sure. He was not Nemestikov the way he affected the game, both on the score sheet, both culture-wise, uh, the way that he stirred things up. This is a guy who you'll find them across the league, really good players who just can't seem to find that fit. He found a fit with Winnipeg, which is why I thought he was coming back because he had a team he knows what he's going to be on this team. He knows he fits. He gets a little bit of stability in his career. That's why he's back. The Jets are lucky to have him. Great fit. You got to love it when that happens, especially in a town like Winnipeg, where, as I said in our last show, you see, you see a lot of guys who come in, jack up their stock by coming into play for the Winnipeg Jets and then taking and signing elsewhere. Great to see that he'll be back. It's a good fit for the team. A good for a guy like uh, um, uh, Nikolai Ehlers. And as we heard from Rick Bonus last year, everyone wants to play with Vladimir Nemesnikov. Now they get their opportunity to do that. 
Anything you want to say before I shut this down, Ken? No, lots of fun. Uh, we appreciate everybody. Uh, we've mentioned it a few times already over the course of the week. I mean, thanks for making the, the shows so fun. Uh, we had incredible engagement. Uh, people, we know that the schedule was tough at uh, certain times, but people found the show. They love the show. The engagement in the chat room has just been absolutely awesome. Um, you know, it, we knew it would be a busy and interesting time. Uh, you know, I, we both thought that probably all four of those four pieces would be moved. So far, two of them have been moved. Uh, still time for other things to happen. And uh, I've sort of flopped onto your previous premise that the Jets would maybe run it back with a couple of those guys. So uh, we'll see what develops. I do think that the Sorokin news today is a massive development when it comes to Hellebuck, Sean, um, yeah. in terms of his future, in terms of the market. I, I wouldn't say market correction. Uh, but Ilya Sorokin is 27 years old. Hellebuck's going to be 31 by the time he's looking for a new deal, um, even though he has a little bit of a longer runway and has those three Vesna, you know, nominations in one victory. Um, I, I think that this, I'm not going to say it establishes the ceiling, but even with the cap going up next year, uh, it's going to be hard for Connor Hellebuck to get to 10 million. I mean, could he get to nine? It's certainly possible. And you know what? If the Jets want to keep him, they might have to pay more than what Sorokin got from the Islanders. But I don't know that it's going to hit that $10 million range. Um, but again, Connor Hellebuck has to want to stick around. I think that the Jets' chances of trying to sign him have, have increased with what happened today. Uh, you know, But it's also up to Connor Hellebuck if he wants to stick around here. So uh, we'll see what happens. It's an interesting time on those two fronts. Uh, but basically, what Kevin Sheveldayoff didn't say today, but what we did think that his message is quite clear. If you're an NHL team and you're interested in Mark Shifley or Connor Hellebuck, you better make a better offer uh, because the offers to this point have not been even remotely close to what the Jets would be looking for in terms of moving either one of those players. So, uh, like we've talked about, is it a is it a bluff by Kevin Sheveldayoff? I don't think so, but it was definitely a, a proclamation that you need to do better if you want either one of these players because the Jets see those players as big-time assets uh, who have yeah. given a lot to the organization. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think the Jets... I would say the Jets are probably in a better position than many people thought they would be in terms of their playoff chances going into next year. But, you know, well, let's reconvene after, uh, you know, after things set up. The dust be settling was a phrase Kevin Sheveldayoff used a lot today. Uh, let's see what happens after the rest of the dust settles. But for now, uh, thanks to everyone who made this such an incredible week. Sean, awesome work with a lot of travel and some uh, travel hiccups. Uh, we had a blast in terms of what we were able to deliver. I think we had a, you know, we're pretty proud of the five shows we put together. You talked about the guests, just absolutely tremendous top shelf, top tier guests with insight and lots of passion. We've seen plenty of passion this week and we did our best to bring a lot of that of our own. So, uh, and as you mentioned, I know you're going to get to it, but uh, thanks to our sponsors, what an awesome job they did stepping up uh, for this five show block here. And like you say, like you always say, we couldn't do the show without them. Yeah, no doubt. I just wanted to bring this up quickly. Corey May says Chevy ain't bluffing, Ken. I agree with this 100%. Oh, that's, I, think I didn't say it was bluffing. No, no, he, he's he's not countering you. He's like kind of adding to what you're saying. Sorry, yeah. Um, but I, th- what I take away from this is I think Chevy's being really transparent. I think what Chevy Agreed. did with Pierre-Luc Dubois was show the entire league, listen, I'm going to move this guy, but if you want him, I'm going to get what I want here. And I think this is very much Kevin Cheveldeff making that trade and then looking dead-eyed 
at the rest of the general managers in the league and saying, I'm going to get what I want here. So if you want Connor Hellebuck, this is what it's going to take. If you want Mark Shifley, this is what it's going to take. That's where he's going with this situation. He's made it clear. He's made it evident. I think what he's doing is he's just setting the parameters here. I don't for a second think that they're just going to turn around and go back and that the intent is to have Mark Shifley here and Connor Hellebuck here. I think the intent is to move both those players, but he's going to move them on his terms. The Pierre-Luc Dubois deal shows that. And I think him saying we're okay going into the season with those players is a way of him saying that as well. Um, Ken talked about it. Got a shout shout out to our sponsors, uh, all of them. uh, If you appreciate the conversations happening in these spaces, please, please appreciate our sponsors who fight to keep those conversations going in these spaces. For us, that's the Keg, Pristine Roofing, the Johnson Group, Vittorio Rossi, Homefield, Lou Ferlin, and the Trans-Canada Brewing Company. Thanks so much to them. Thank you most of all. uh, Well, let's say thank you to Kevin Woodley, who absolutely rocked it along with our guests. But thank you most of all to you, the audience, your comments. They feed us. They feed us on this show. They drive this show. They fuel us. Um, and uh, I have to say, we didn't make it easy for everybody to to find us for these shows. That wasn't by design. It's just the way it had to be. You all did a great job right now, over 200 people in the chat room. And we noticed, like Ken said, you guys have been gobbling the show up on YouTube uh, and uh, in podcast form after this. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. We will be back to talk about uh, the Shifley move, if it happens, the Hellbuck move, if it happens. Uh, We are there to serve you, uh, there to pop up and make sure we have these conversations when these conversations need to be had. But thank you so much to all of you for joining us for these this string of shows we put here together. It means the world to us. I hope we made it worth your while. We will see you when the news breaks. The Kenny and Rennie Show is brought to you by Homefield. Cambrian Credit Union, Lou Ferlin, Trans Canada Brewing, Vittorio Rossi, and Johnston Group.